Ghetto. You are now beyond the ghetto. Broadcasting from the rainy city of the Lower Mainland, here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, you are now Beyond, beyond the Ghetto. Here on RadioGay.ca and podcast on iTunes. Radio Gay.ca. Radio Gay.ca. It's a revolution. Radio Gay.ca. Sit down on your knees and show some appreciation. Radio Gay.ca. Hello, this is Stephen Emery, and I'm coming to you tonight through my video iPod. Yes, the raw audio of this sound, before I mix the music in, is basically being directed right to my iPod, and I have been waiting for a video iPod microphone for months, and today I finally found one. They're selling out quickly up here in Vancouver, and I got it. So I hope you enjoy uh, this show before I go back on my microphone um, later on. World conflict. Is it caused mainly by religion? Has it been for millennia that religion, or rather the fundamentalists' certainty of their beliefs in their respective religions, is it that certainty and religious dogma which has caused the major clashes over the millennium and more importantly the major clashes of the day. Well, about a year ago my co-host Ron Kearse talked to author Sam Harris and he's the author of a recent book called The End of Faith, Religion, Terror and the Future of Reason. Now we had some technical difficulties with the recording which I apologize for. There's a bit of background noise which I'll try to sometimes cover with with a bit of music and quite frankly we lost the recording for a little while until it resurfaced but I think it's relevant that this month after all that had happened in in Lebanon recently and after the anniversary of 9-11 the five-year anniversary I think it's a very relevant discussion to have now and Sam Harris makes some very pertinent points through his interview with Ron that are just as valid today as they were a year ago so here is the interview that Ron Kearse did with Sam Harris, the author of The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. Now, the name of your book is The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. How did you come to write this book? Well, it was 
literally my immediate reaction to September 11th, 2001. I, I started writing it on September 12th, and it was my response to the, the fact that we were very clearly in a religious war uh, and were unwilling to call it such. We, just strangely, I, perversely in my mind, uh, the, these events were causing us to become even more deranged by our own religious certainties uh, when it was in fact religious certainty that brought us these planes into our buildings in the first place so it was it was quite ironic and and uh, I thought disorienting to uh, witness all this so this was really my uh, attempt to to uh, speak reasonably about just the, the forces that are delivering us so much violence at this moment. Yeah, why do you think we're so unwilling to call it a religious war? Is that well? There, you know, there are good reasons and bad reasons. The good reasons, uh, or the good reason, really, is that we are, I think, quite rightly mindful of our history of religious intolerance. So, you know, many good-hearted people have as their default setting that. Whatever you do, don't say anything terrible about somebody else's religion, uh, and they. And this is in place simply because in the West, in particular, in, you know, under Christianity for centuries, uh, we have a history of, of persecuting people for their their the perceived uh, waywardness of their religious beliefs. So most civilized people think that the end game for civilization is to just mutually tolerate everybody's uh, beliefs about God and the afterlife and the moral structure of the universe, no matter how implausible uh, or garish or um, really ludicrous these beliefs become. this sudden, seemingly sudden rise in fundamentalist religions uh, has happened in the, this kind of madness in the world today? In, my, you know, in the United States, it certainly seems like Christian fundamentalism is on the rise, but when you actually look at the, the Gallup polling that has been done for decades on people's belief systems, you find that the, the level of the, the 
the percentages of people who believe that the Bible is literally the Word of God or that Jesus literally rose from the dead, those have remained very stable over, you know, ever since this polling was started about 80 years ago. So it's true that there's the fundamentalists seem to be having more of a moment uh, of visibility in, in political terms, and and uh, but I don't think the complexion of people's beliefs have changed all that much. And certainly in the Muslim world, uh, you know, there have been lulls in in the level of conflict between the West and Islam, but there really has, it, it has been a steady history of conflict for 12 centuries. And, you know, now we just, we're, we have the problem that people have the tools of 21st century war making mm. at their disposal. And, you know, they're still animated by 7th century ideas about what happens after death. Religion or faith, that's a problem, or is it politics, or is religious faith nothing more than politics? Well, religious faith is a, I think this idea of faith has a few myths surrounding it that, that confuse us about what people are really up to in the name of religion. There, there's this notion that there's this opposition between faith and reason, hmm. uh, and that in religious terms, a leap of faith is is somehow ennobling or necessary and really when you get down to what people are actually doing with their thoughts everyone claims to be representing the world in by their beliefs i mean if you believe that that uh you're conducting a an internet radio interview right now as you do yeah. you believe that that description of the world is valid you know you're not riding a bicycle you're not playing golf you're conducting an interview uh, that's a true statement. If you are a religious person and believe that God dictated one of our books or considers homosexuality an abomination or paradise awaits people who, who blow themselves up in the right circumstance, you likewise believe that those statements are true. And, you, and people believe this to varying degrees. Some people claim to be certain about these facts. Some people just think it, it, it's probably so. Um, but the, the degree to which you are certain that a belief represents reality, you you are making a claim to knowledge. I mean, this is this notion of faith that being somehow different, I think, is is really an utter fiction. Uh, the people of faith are constantly making claims about the way the world actually is, about the way they believe it to actually be, and these claims inevitably, insofar as they're actually believed inevitably they organize people's behavior and emotions. I mean, people, you know, we're confronted by 
millions of people in the Muslim world right now who uh, will take to the streets and start killing people if they hear rumors that, that their favorite book was flushed down the toilet. Making a, a, a quote from your book here is the men who committed the atrocities of September 11th were certainly not cowards, as they were reportedly described in the Western media. Nor were they lunatics in any ordinary sense. They were men of faith, perfect faith, as it turns out. And this, it must be finally acknowledged, is a terrible thing to be. Moderates tend not to be too sure, or and they and they tend not to pretend to be too sure about what God wants for the world, whether. God cares what you, what name you call him, uh, whether uh, only one religion is valid or or maybe there there are many that are valid. I mean they, they they don't have they don't hold tightly to any of the the incompatible religious dogmas that that we see in the world, um, and that's because they're just not sure uh, what's true. I mean it, it, it's you know, the moment you become certain that the only way to escape everlasting hellfire is to love Jesus, then you're no, you, you, by definition, you can no longer remain moderate. And then you really think that, you know, the, the everlasting uh, experience of, of everyone, and especially those you love, hangs in the balance. And you can't, you can't be uh, equanimous when your you know, child goes off to become a Buddhist because you know that your child has is, has just doomed his soul. So, mm. religious certainty is 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 the difference between moderation and and fundamentalism or extremism. And uh, it's, it's the problem with moderation, however, and this is something that that uh, my book has become rather well known for. Uh, that my, my my leveling some serious criticism of, of religious moderates. The problem with moderation is that it's it's the religious moderates who uh, almost uniquely will not allow us to even notice the differences among our religious traditions. I mean, religious fundamentalists will allow religion to be criticized as long as their own religion isn't being criticized. So our own religious fundamentalists, you know, Christian fundamentalists, will will admit very readily that there is a tight link between Islam and Muslim violence. Mm -hmm. they, they, they understand that, that when the jihadist looks into the video camera and says, we love death more than the infidel loves life, he's actually being honest about his state of mind. That's not propaganda, it's not politics, you know, masquerading as religion. These people really think they're going to get to paradise. The problem with religious moderates is they are they're blinded by their religious moderation and their religious and their political correctness and they don't first they don't even believe that people really do have the courage of their convictions they don't believe that the person really thinks he's going to get to paradise before blowing himself up they think he just was you know politically desperate or lacking economic opportunity they have other notions about what would lead people to do this uh, there's not a shred of evidence to support that I mean, every uh, reasonable analysis of 
of why people fly planes into to buildings has to uh, acknowledge the level of their religious conviction. And uh, moderates seem almost uniquely uh, ill-disposed to observe this because they have, their, they have a, a watered-down religiosity which they can't quite see beyond. Could this explain probably the reason why religious moderates don't speak up? Uh, for example, uh, re- uh, moderate Muslims don't speak up when there's a fatwa uh, issued by the Ayatollah to say Solomon Rushdie. Yeah, well, the thing about the problem that's unique to Islam at the moment is that that there really does not appear to be a a a genuinely viable tradition of, of moderation in in Islam. I mean, to, to speak of moderate Muslims is really to offer a a prayer that such Muslims exist somewhere because they just there's no tradition where you can stand as a Muslim and say. You know, this this school of Islam acknowledges that the Quran is probably a work of men, written by men, a uh, book of wisdom that we honor, but you know, there's no reason to think it was dictated by the archangel Gabriel to Muhammad in his cave. Um, I mean, that the, the penalty for talking that way about the Quran is death. Mm. And so it, it's, no, it's no surprise that you don't find Muslims standing up and, and talking this way very often, because... In every Muslim community on this planet, and I'm not talking about just Saudi Arabia or Somalia, I'm talking about the suburbs of Toronto, uh, it, you are taking your life in your hand as a Muslim to, to even wonder out loud whether or not the Quran is just an ordinary book like any other book. The Muslim world is very much in a, in a spot uh, like the, the, the Christian world was in, in the 14th century, yeah. where the penalties for making even the most minor concessions to reasonableness are very severe. And so yeah, the, the, the issue with the Salman Rushdie affair is that it's just frankly dangerous to stand up and, and say reasonable things uh, in criticism of, of religious intolerance when, it, when it's Muslim religious intolerance. There are obviously rather large emotional dividends that that come with uh, uh, the consoling nature of these beliefs. People are terrified of death, they're terrified to lose everyone they love in this life, and that terror is is married to the the certainty of the, of those things actually coming to pass. I mean, you, you know, the, the the thing we fear most is virtually the the only thing that we can be absolutely sure is going to happen to us. We are going to die, and we are going to lose everyone we love if we if we wait around and live long enough. Um, so it's you know the, that fact is unacceptable, and the only. Uh, kind of propositions that that 
seem to make that not only okay, but ultimately a good thing, are religious propositions. You know, you, you're told as a child that, you know, grandma only appears to have disappeared. You're going to be reunited with her in heaven, and not only are you going to be with her, you're going to be with Jesus, and you're going to be with everybody else you loved, and things are never going to go bad after that because it's just going to be an eternity of happiness. Uh, you know, that's the... That's the only story. Religion is the only area of discourse that gives you a story like that, and the emotional payoff for actually believing it is is uh, pretty hard to dispute. Uh, but obviously, there are many other consequences that come along with believing it, and you know they include um, just a fundamental disconnection from the way the world actually is, uh, a willingness to impede medical and scientific research where it rubs up against your your bizarre religious certainties and so we have stem cell research being impeded and in, in uh, particularly in, in the united states uh it, it begets a willingness to be highly intolerant of of your neighbors and their behavior even when their behavior has absolutely no effect upon your happiness or the happiness of other human beings um and it it, it Fundamentally, these, these, these incompatible religious certainties have balkanized our world into, into these separate moral communities where you have Muslims pitted against Christians, pitted against Jews, and that becomes an enduring basis for, for global conflict. Yeah, here's another quote from your book. You say, Religious violence is still with us because our religions are intrinsically hostile to one another. When they appear otherwise, it is because secular knowledge and secular interests are restraining the most lethal improprieties of faith. It is time we acknowledge that no real foundation exists within the canons of Christianity, Islam, Judaism, or any of our faiths for religious tolerance and religious diversity. Uh, in your opinion, is the reason many of religious faiths... Um, hating anything secular because the secular shines uh, the holes that religions have? It, the holes in their theory I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, well, there's probably some of that. It's, secularism, uh, really by definition, is uh, a movement that wants to deny uh, religion scope in society. You know, if you want your law to be secular, that means you want you want to keep religious ideas out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so insofar as religious people are certain that there is a supernatural being who created the universe who's watching all the while to see if we get our lives straight uh, before he decides whether to reward or punish us, uh, you know, they are quite reasonably concerned that society is not organized in such a way as to maximize God's pleasure. And um, so, yeah, they find it quite offensive that secular people who have not found Jesus or have not realized that uh, the Quran is the perfect word of God, or you know, you pick pick your flavor of, of religion, uh, they're they're quite alarmed to see that that the the ignorant unbelievers are running the show in in any respect. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, I think it's, it's important for us to point out that it really is reasonable for them to be so concerned. This is not, you know, what I argue in my book is that their, their core beliefs are irrational and, and, or at least totally unsubstantiated. Um, and the evidence they do put forward for them is, is, is never good enough. Uh, but once you adopt those beliefs, it does become perfectly rational to be, to be highly motivated by them and to have your politics uh, just riddled with, with uh, uh, these kinds of theological concerns because, you know, we're all just, you know, there's nothing more sacred than the facts. I mean, we want, we want to know what is true. We want our behavior to be guided by what is true. And if you think Jesus is going to come down out of the clouds any day now and, and set the world straight, um, it, it, it's quite reasonable to have that modify your behavior. Another quote uh, here. Uh, if our tribalism is ever to give way to an extended moral uh, identity, our religious beliefs can no longer be sheltered from the tides of genuine inquiry and genuine criticism. Have you any thoughts regarding how we as a society can set about to administer more critical thought about our spiritual beliefs, or, or is this indeed possible? Yeah, well, I think it's, it, it was very simple, actually. It's just not... Uh, Paradoxically, it's not likely to happen, but I, I think it, the remedy is quite simple, and it just happens at the level of human conversation. It's not that we need new laws or we, you know we need to build jails for people who believe the wrong things. Uh, we ju- just have to become intolerant of false certainty. So I, I think we have to be intolerant at the level of conversation of willful medieval. Uh, assertions that are that are genuinely unjustifiable, and that you know that kind of intolerance would would propagate itself in society. I mean, we 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 don't tolerate people who think the Holocaust never happened. Yeah. We don't we don't jail them. We don't pass laws against uh, having the wrong idea about European history. But when a guy stands up at a conference and says, "Well, you know, the Holocaust is a is a myth created by the Jews." Um, that person is no longer talked to anymore. You know, there's, he, maybe he can go to a conference of neo-Nazis, but he's, he's somebody who's just systematically marginalized 
uh, whenever the conversation turns to the subject of history. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we haven't had to do anything special to, to bring that about. We just, you know, certain ideas are just sufficiently uh, unsubstantiated or, and, and sufficiently contradicted by all the rest that we know about the, the nature of the world that people who hold them get marginalized. And uh, I think this ultimately the same thing has to happen uh, on the level of uh, religious dogma. What is it about, um, uh, for example, Christianity that uh, those who are the heads of our religions seem to get to pick and choose what we're taught about, for example, Christ, and yet um, it's we're not afforded that same luxury. They'll tell us you can't pick and choose what to believe. You have to believe this. That moral relativism that they'll lump it all in the same the same right. thing. Well, I just think it's it's a self-serving uh, style of editing one's information that that really we all engage in across the board whenever inconvenient facts surface for us that we don't we're not ready to to incorporate into our worldview. I don't I don't think it's really different in religion than it is anywhere else. So we we normal people tend to build a picture of the world that they that they are comfortable with and to some degree that that there's self-serving bias and and wishful thinking and other d- distortions that creep in there and in religion I mean, the obvious uh, uh, way this shows up that you just pointed out is that these holy books are strewn with contradictions and passages that um, are not at all ennobling. They're they're just you know there's vast sections of the Bible, for instance, that advocate uh, the most uh, totalitarian barbarism uh, really that can be imagined. Um, and people tend to ignore it or or write it off or say that you know it can't be interpreted uh, literally or it has to be seen in the context of the time or they have. They have all kinds of euphemisms and rationalizations that allow that that allow them to still hold on to the the book as though it were uniquely wise, and yet fail to incorporate all of the evidence contained between its covers that that attest to its lack of wisdom. Uh, for to take one uh, d- discrete example, the the Bible very clearly, unambiguously supports the practice of slavery. There is no way to read the Bible and and justify abolitionism. The, the, the creator of the universe clearly wants us to keep slaves. He expects us to keep slaves. He told us how to keep slaves. Uh, Jesus clearly expected people to be slaves if they were unlucky enough to be slaves, and he, kept, he expected other people to keep slaves. Um, there's just there's no place in the Bible you can you can get a a modern and genuinely ethical. Uh, stance against slavery, uh, and yet we have all uh, acknowledged, really, almost without exception, the, the, the exception being in various spots in the Muslim world where slavery is still practiced, 
we've all acknowledged that slavery was was a genuine abomination uh, and is totally unacceptable. So, you know, if the Bible is the wisest book we have on the subject, uh, either God is wrong or we're wrong. Admittedly, rather slender ray of hope at the moment is the, the fact that you you see that in in most first world democracies, with with a rather notable ex- exception of my own country, uh, you see a a level of secularism uh, that is genuinely encouraging. You, in Western Europe and uh, uh, Canada, to some degree, Australia, Japan, uh, you know, the, these countries, a level of unbelief. Uh, is is just immeasurably higher than it is in the United States, uh, and that's a very good thing. And it, and it proves that you can have highly moral societies uh, that don't suffer uh, uh, degeneration and collapse the moment they give up their religious uh, convictions. And as as most religious people in the United States fear, uh, they they imagine that that. You, high levels of religious belief is the only thing that keeps us from rushing into the streets and killing one another. Uh, but that's clearly not true, and I think the argument can easily be made just with reference to to Western Europe and Canada that that the level of religious belief is not what gives you the, the moral underpinnings of society. So that that is hopeful. But, you know, that said, uh, I think we have a tremendous problem, with, in particular with the Muslim world, and with the the Muslims who have immigrated to the Western world, there's there's not uh, a visible secularizing, moderating trend there, and you know it's going to have to come from somewhere. And uh, I don't even see the beginnings of a dialogue between the West and the Muslim world on this subject. Was a Jew and he don't like you. Jesus was a Jew and he don't like you. I would like to thank uh, Ron Kears for doing that interview. That was Sam Harris talking about his book, The End of Faith. Uh, basically a call for secularism uh, in the world. He's highly critical of uh, Islam, and I realize that. But I want to say that I happen to know that there is a dialogue of 
Muslims happening of moderate Muslims in Canada, especially uh, those of uh, my gay friends from this Sufi Muslim tradition. Also, um, I would recommend that Harris read Urshad Manji's The Trouble with Islam Today if he hasn't yet. That book is basically not so much a criticism of uh, fundamental Islam, it is, uh, but it's also a call for Muslims to be moderate in Canada. And that discussion is very alive and well. I can't speak for how it's going down in the States, but it's alive and well up here. So I have to completely disagree with his comments about that. And um, as a broadcaster, what I'm going to do is get some of those moderate Muslims who are talking about those aspects of their faith onto this show Beyond the Ghetto. And I'm going to try to get them on as, as soon as possible. Also, I found it quite challenging. I'm one of those um, moderate metaphorical um, persons who interpret the Bible with a historic interpretation who often does write off the more violent and uh, irrational and uh, contrasting conflicting parts of the Bible as a story of, of humanity and uh, I have a very metaphorical interpretation of a lot of things and um, I am an agnostic but um, I still consider myself a Christian he would consider that uh, basically I'm not a good Christian and um, I find that his interpretation of of how people should believe in the Bible is actually quite fundamentalist and uh, I'll be talking hopefully to some Christians who are like-minded as me to come on the show and also discuss the Christian faith. However, I think that Sam Harris's interview was very important and I think Ron felt it very important to do because a lot of the comments he made about uh, he makes in his book uh, which I've read and Ron's read and which he says about fundamentalism and the relationship between violence is something that does need to be explored and discussed and it is something that has historically affected gay and lesbian people throughout history and I think that Sam Harris's book is uh, quite eloquent and his, discu um, uh, his discussion is quite eloquent, eloquent in that area. So thank you for listening to Beyond the Ghetto Within the Village today. American with quite a lot to say, as patriotic and religious as you get. I'm a brand new kind of Christian in the good old USA, and you don't know what to make of me quite yet. You liberal folks are just too analytical, you're called the intellectual elite. <laughs> You like to use big words like hypocritical Just because my words and actions hardly meet <laughs> Well, welcome to Jesus Land Where we made George Bush the president 
And now we can command that the people of this country live exactly as we planned. Welcome to Jesus' land. Just look on any dollar bill. It says in God we trust. So we ask His help in everything we do. Now we got freedom of religion. I reckon that means that we must tolerate the atheist and Jew. But Jesus is the man and our salvation. And every war we wage is in His name. We think His Bible should be taught in every nation. And we'll bomb anyone who doesn't feel the same. Welcome to Jesus' land. Where we all love that neighbor, if that neighbors understand. We won't let too many Mexicans across the Rio Grande. Welcome to Jesus' land. Now W's a married man, and Laura is his wife. Of their family values and beliefs we sing. They oppose a woman's right to choose, because they're both pro-life. An execution, well that's another thing. George goes to church where he'll sing from his hymnal. Cause Jesus once protected him from harm. But if you're a convicted death row criminal, he's been known to stick a needle in your arm. Welcome to Jesus' land. Where that Moses guy says, try to pry this rifle from my hand. The Prince of Peace don't want my AK-47 to be banned. Welcome to Jesus' land. Rush Limbaugh is the people's voice, cause we sure like to listen. He's a moral and a real straight-talking guy. Who says, crack smoking addicts should all go straight to prison. We don't care that when he said it, he was high. O'Reilly is another moral beacon. That married man got no spin in his zone. He's always right, politically speaking. Once he's finished talking dirty on the phone. Shut up! Welcome to Jesus' land. Where we see the Lord in every Walmart, Sears, and Disneyland. And where some may turn the other cheek, we draw lines in the sand. Welcome to Jesus' land. Yeah, in Jesus' land, everyone knows better. But it's not a place you liberal folks can find. You see, it's not a state that's red or even redder. Now, Jesus' land is just a state of mind. Jesus' land is here to stay. Don't judge me by the way I live, just live by what I say. It's Jesus' will to build a neo-Christian USA. Welcome to Jesus' land.